There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what were they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their full, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Well, this is John's account of Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. The story occurs in all four Gospels. It must have been a very memorable event. It was also a pivotal event, which is especially drawn out in the Gospel of John, as we'll see over the next few weeks. We will actually be staying in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John for several weeks to come. But let's first be clear that this is an account of a miracle. I'm sure there are at least a handful of you here today who have heard some priest at some time say that it wasn't really a miracle involving supernatural multiplication. Actually, it was a story about 5,000 people sharing really well taking itty-bitty little portions and being content with them. And maybe they realized they had a little picnic to contribute to. The point being, it was a miracle of humans sharing, not a miracle of supernatural provision. Well, that's a perfectly nice story. It just has nothing to do with the actual text that we just read which is a story about a miracle of multiplication. You notice that the text says Jesus took the loaves and distributed them. That is the definite article referring back to the loaves the boy brought. Furthermore, when they pick up the surplus, it's the surplus from the five barley loaves, not from the supplementary picnics that everybody brought. And even if we do all those gymnastics to the text and conclude that there, it's not about divine multiplication, it's about human cooperation, then we're confronted with the next passage about Jesus walking on the water, which brings us back to dealing with supernatural claims. Explaining away the miraculous in the Bible is, I suppose, a way to make us feel more at home in our contemporary, secular, humanistic viewpoint. But it's not faithful to the meaning of the text. And it diminishes a basic biblical mandate, which is to believe in the power of God and his son, Jesus. So we proceed acknowledging that this is about a text, Jesus doing something extraordinary with food. It's a text about abundant provision. And that makes sense when we read this text in context with the king's reading that we heard, where Elijah demonstrates a very similar act of provision by the power of God. In his case, 
It was barley loaves and some sort of stalks of grain. And the servant also thinks that the provisions are wildly insufficient for this group. But Elijah says, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. I mean, the parallels are really too obvious to ignore. Well, as Christians, we read the Old Testament not in isolation, but as a text that prefigures what's coming in Jesus Christ. That's why we we get to call it our Old Testament. For Christians, it's a preparation. Paul will eventually say all things find their yes in Christ. So when we read about the prophet Elijah multiplying food and realize that Jesus is doing these same things only on a much grander scale, we see that the promises God prefigured in Elijah are fulfilled in Jesus. Moses is another Old Testament figure alluded to in the story of the feeding of the 5,000. He was there in the Exodus, you know, when they were starving in the wilderness, and God brought down the manna from heaven to feed them. Deuteronomy actually attests to God raising up a prophet like Moses who will come in the future to lead his people. So, when Jesus does this miracle with the bread and the loaves, the crowd correctly deduces that he is the one who is the culmination of the prophets. They say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And they want to make him their king. But then we read, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him a king, Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. What was going on here? Hadn't the crowd reacted correctly to the signs? What was wrong with their enthusiasm for Jesus, with wanting him to be their king? Wasn't that what he came to be? Why did he retreat? Well, a long time ago, in the early 90s, I was enrolled in a summer school painting class at the Rhode Island School of Design. It was with Lenny Long. He was a fabulous teacher. I remember he played great music, and every couple of hours, he passed around this huge bowl of fireballs. You know those candies, they're sort of the size of a marble, and they're cinnamon, and they kind of like light your mouth on fire. Well, after about three days, my mouth was completely burnt out. But a week in, we had to post our homework on this big board, and he was getting ready to comment on it. And he said, before I begin, I just want to give those of you who are sensitive a chance to speak up. Just raise your hand so I know when I come to your work not to say what I really think. (laughs) Well, it was a pivotal moment for all of us sensitive artist types. Did we want to hear the truth spelled out in front of everyone in order to improve and become good painters? Or did we just want to eat fireballs and enjoy playing with paint? Or put another way, were we willing to let Lenny change us, not just entertain us? 
Jesus had healed the sick and had produced food in the wilderness. But his mission was more than this. As our collect for today puts it, he was about things eternal, not just things temporal. He didn't come down from heaven just to provide bread for people. Although bread is very important and hunger is very real, and it is most certainly an important thing for Christians to address. But the fact is, he didn't come just to be a useful divine provider. He came to make us ready for eternal life with him. You know, there's a false gospel out there called the prosperity gospel, and it's all about Jesus coming here just to bless you with all sorts of stuff, like money and a great body and a really long life, basically to fulfill all your desires. The premise being that all our desires are good, which, of course, they are not. But that is not the true gospel. In fact, it is a demonic distortion of the gospel. It's true that God loves us and that we have many good desires. Our desire for health, that is very good. Jesus did heal, and he still does. He did feed people, and that was well and good. But he warned his people that there was something even greater that he was about, and that they should not miss out on that because they got so caught up with the other. And you know, that is good news. I mean, really. Because if you're sitting on death row, and the message you get is it's about prosperity gospel and how God is going to make you rich and give you everything you want, what you know is that's a lie. You need a God who can be with you on a cross about five feet away and say, this day you will be with me in paradise. That's good news. Jesus will say, I am the bread. He will give his disciples bread and say, this is my body given for you. If our relationship with Jesus is just about him being a useful provider, we have shortchanged him. We have missed the fullness of who he came to be in our lives. We have missed him. Don't look at the bread, he says. Look at me. There'll be a moment when we actually get, we get to look at that broken bread, but I hope you're thinking Jesus. Even though those wafers are very nice, we're thinking Jesus who became the bread. And the thing is that when we take our eyes off the bread or whatever it is that we desire, whether it be good or bad, and we look at Jesus, something happens. We see how good he is and we start to want to please him. I say start to want to please him. It takes a long time, you know. 
to get it all figured out, to really just want our whole selves to please Jesus. But you know what? Even that first time we want to start to please him, you know what we realize? We are. He is so pleased. That's the amazing grace of Jesus. You know, we, it's just like, you know, you have a little two-year-old and you tell them, well, can you like clean up your place? And they like smear stuff all over, you know, but you are so pleased. Jesus is so pleased by us. You know, that boy who brought his lunch, his barley loaves and fish, I'm thinking he must have been so excited to unwrap that and eat it. You know, I mean, it was late in the day, he must have been hungry, he could smell it, you know, mmm, delish, love mom's barley loaves, and then something made him give it to one of the disciples to take to Jesus. And the amazing thing is that we know, because he was one of the 5,000, he was satisfied. He was more than satisfied. There was extra. And that's what happens when we turn our desires to the Lord. He satisfies us in ways that are miraculous. I'm going to conclude with, um, with that wonderful collect that Colin read. Oh God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply on us your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal that we lose not the things eternal. Amen.